right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. USA. USA. We beat Iran 1-0 and... Just like that, after two draws, they just get one win, one goal. Christian oh. Pulisic, who might not be able to have children anymore, and the yeah. U.S. is moving on. I swear. The ultimate sacrifice. Yes, the ultimate. <laughs> My favorite was I saw Reddit College Football on Twitter. They said, uh, Christian Pulisic can't have children anymore, but, but he's, he's now founding a founding fathers. father. Yeah, he's a founding father. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think I got a concussion before the show. I uh, ran in pretty hard with my yeah, head so, into a speaker. So Derek is tall, mm-hmm. and... In our studio, we have happening. the we have the speakers that hang down from the ceiling, and this is what the second or third time this has actually happened to you. Right? And they've both happened is second, but they've both happened in like a week span. Yeah, it's not been fun. He just rammed his head into the speaker. Well, that's okay. I'm uh, like Christian Pulisic. <laughs> I'm just as much of a hero. You well, know, you we don't need have to, to get tell those, me, uh, but you, could. you know, like the little the little child protective rubber things you <laughs> stick on the end of a counter. I guess when so. your kid is like, you know, so that when they run into the counter, they don't crack their skull open. Mm-hmm. Any one of those. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, uh, the U.S. advances feels like in the the last twenty to thirty minutes of every match, they just get like completely outplayed and are on their back heels at the end of every game. Maybe they should actually start using their subs yeah. because it's hot and stuff. But yeah, Ron almost scored I? like yeah. three times in the last ten minutes. But that's okay. They won. They're going through round of sixteen. <laughs> Probably not going to go well against Netherlands. Netherlands like, on really, Saturday. Really good. But it's exciting. You make the round of 16. Also, it's Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Oh, gosh. That's so early. So you got to wake up. No. Straight to soccer. That's not cool. Well, at least they made well, it. Well, it's, you know, it's it's 8 a.m. here, but it's like, I don't know, 5 or 6 or whatever p.m. Yeah. in Qatar. Hey, you made it with a young team. Then uh, you're hosting in four years. Maybe this is the type of experience that really helps them and. And turns them into a uh, team that could maybe make a yeah, run. Like, to, yeah, like, like, like let's let's be honest. Like we want the U.S. to make a deep run when they're hosting. Yeah, right. Wouldn't that be the most fun? Exactly. So maybe this serves the experience for that. Uh, Lance Leipold's new contract has had its details come out. It is signed through 2029. Officially, the fall of 2023. It includes an increase in money for him and his assistants. So. Make the assistants happy so that they're not, you know, leaving for other jobs, but also just nice thing to do. Uh, his annual salary is now $5 million per year. The initial deal when he signed it was a six-year deal worth $16.5 million. Started around two, two and a half million, and, and slowly worked up in price as the years went on. Essentially, now the deal is like a seven-year, $35 million deal. So it's a lot of money, pays him a good amount to be in tow as the Kansas head coach. Here's something that's interesting, though. Uh, these are the buyout figures for Lance Leipold if he at some point left for another job and another school had to pay the buyout. It would be $12.5 million 
by April 30th of 2023, which would be like this upcoming spring. Um, so that would be a lot of money for someone to pay to, to bring them on. But by the following spring, April of 2024, it'd be $6 million, which is not like that crazy high of a buyout. Then it goes down to $5 million, $4 million, $3, 2 and $1 every year past then. I did see some people seeing this and, and saying, that's not great because that doesn't, I guess, dispel the idea that you could be back where we were really all season this year of speculating that he could go somewhere else because the buyout makes it not like that hard for other schools to avoid it. But I kind of view it more as this. I kind of view it as just like the contract's probably going to get re-upped and renegotiated. And in fact, there's an interesting nugget that we'll get to here in a second as the years go on. So I'm not like overly worried about it. Clearly he re-signed this contract. He's interested in staying. He had a year where Wisconsin and Nebraska opened up and he ended up staying at Kansas. I, I think it's going to be okay, but I, but I do, yeah. I guess, understand the concern there. Yeah. I mean, but listen, what are the only what are the only two jobs that we think Lance Leipold would would really be like his dream jobs? Nebraska and Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. They were both there well, for I the mean, taking. By the time he gets Kansas to the college football playoff, Nick Saban <laughs> yeah. retires. Maybe Alabama yeah. offers him the job. Yeah. You never know. But at that point, if you've built Kansas and you're right. a Kansas team going to the college football playoff every year, why wouldn't you just stay at Kansas? Yeah. So after he goes to four straight playoff trips, exactly. and then yep. you know we we send him off. Back we're like, thank you for titles. everything you do. Go have fun at Alabama. Right. We'll, we'll take that <laughs> trade off. Um, the contract also mentions an expectation of good faith efforts in the NIL world, which that's kind of to be expected. And then and also in the stadium building as well. Yep, There's the parts stadium of it building. Mention uh, construction of the state of the new stadium plus the whatever expansion they're going to add to the Anderson Football Complex. That stuff as well. Mm -hmm. So all stuff that you know help the program and and further signal the investment into the program by donors and whatnot. This is maybe the most interesting part to me. Um, on or around this is direct from the contract. On or around April first, twenty twenty five. The parties shall meet in good faith to evaluate whether or not head coaches' annual compensation, the salary pool for assistant coaches, and the salary pool for football staff are at or within the top half of the Big 12 Conference. If at that time head coaches' annual compensation or either of the salary pools are not within the top half of the Big 12 Conference, athletics will increase such amounts to be at or within the top half of the Big 12 Conference. However, if any university has announced before April 1st, 2025, that it intends to leave the Big 12, such university will be excluded from the calculations, such adjustments if necessary, or in addition to any increases due in year three as set forth in sections five and six. So, Basically, a lot of jargon. it's almost like a rolling contract in the sense of in a few years, if you are no longer being paid as, you know, what's your what's your your worth, we'll make sure that you're going to get that. And that's important because that goes back to what we were talking about or, or what we were just saying with the buyout stuff that it's not like a super large number in just a couple years that another team could easily pay that. But basically, this is saying that, yeah, in a couple years assuming everything's going super well, like we're going to probably just pay you more anyway, so it's fine. Do you read any of that as a possibility of like leaving the Big 12 like we've discussed with KU? Kind of I, the wording there. Honestly, on first read I did, but on second read when I just read it out loud there, I did. Yeah, it didn't really seem like it. I almost more so viewed <laughs> it as it's just if other schools leave. But yeah. I guess you could view it as like if Kansas leaves the Big 12, then we will readjust the calculation there, right? We'll base it on the Big Ten or, or whatever yeah. conference, right? Yeah. It could be. Um, the other piece that I found interesting, too, was um, when you look at 
the contract, it... Oh, gosh, I just had a brain fart. I think I did have a concussion. What? Oh, from <laughs> I don't know how I'm in... going to do this show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. This is not good. Um, but yeah, Third I mean, questionable so, return with no, it's it, it's obviously a big deal, and it shows all the investment by the donors and the, everybody's willing to have. Oh, here it was uh, the Travis Goff part of it, where it mentions that if Travis Goff is no longer employed as the uh, athletic director at KU, that he is basically allowed to get out of the contract. Which, a couple things: one, further signals, hey, let's lock up Travis Travis Goff. Two, everybody loves Travis Goff, so not really an issue there. Yeah. Um, but three, I think it just shows how much Lance Leipold, and I'm sure this goes for a lot of other coaches at Kansas, respect Travis Goff. Absolutely. And obviously what Travis Goff has, has come here and done so far since he's been here and what he said about his commitment to football and everything. So I feel like it's kind of almost like a, you know, a mutual commitment, right? Like both parties are looking for the other party to ensure that they are committed to this together, right? Mm-hmm. So with that, at, with that in mind, that's kind of how you get to the situation where, with the extension, you, Lance Leipold wants to make sure that Travis Goff is committed and vice versa. So they're both like, okay, we're both committed. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we'll ask more to Matt Tate about the contract stuff. He'll join us at 340 after the birth of his uh, baby. He had last week off, but chomping at the bit to get back to it, I guess, uh, for this week. And we'll also be joined by Kevin Flaherty at 440 here. Kansas takes down Texas Southern. They covered the spread, maybe most importantly, for all you degenerates out there. Good teams win, great teams cover. Yeah. Kevin McCuller was out. That was precautionary, though, in the post game, It kind of sounded like it was super day-to-day that he suffered it during Tennessee, tried to play through it, which maybe makes it even more sense that he only took like a handful of shots in that game um, when you really could have used him to take more shots. Sounds like he could still be out. Sounds like it's going to be like 50-50, whether he plays against Seton Hall on Thursday. But uh, it doesn't sound like it's going to be something long-term. Now, that is a little bit scary because this is a guy who has had injury issues, I think, every season he's been in college at some point. So you don't want that to start out. So I would definitely say be as cautionary with it as possible. Bobby Pettiford sounds like he could be out a bit. And by a bit, I don't mean like several months. Probably a couple weeks would be my guess. Yeah, yeah. Just get him back for conference play, I guess. My first takeaway, honestly, though, from that game, Texas Southern's bad. Yeah, no, hey, they're not. They're not very good. You beat them by more than last year did, right? Yeah, it was 83-56. So Kansas is going to win the national title even harder this year. Correct. Yes, they're going to get down by even more than fifteen, and then they're going to come back and, and win, win by 10. by even more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, how about Jalen Wilson's shooting? Went five yeah, of ten nice. from three. That was nice. I mean, we continue to, you know, gather the puzzle pieces. Can he be a better shooter? Can he help this team from a shooting perspective? Yeah. Kind of saw a lot of it right there. Yeah, and and regardless of what you think about the rest of the team, Jalen Wilson has clearly taken on this mentality of, I'm going to be the guy, right? And rightly or wrongly, he's been doing that so far this season, and and I do think he needs to continue to do that. Uh, And, you know, some people might say, well, you know, there's a fine line between – being the guy and then being somebody who takes away from other members, other players. But what I've seen from what I've seen, it's it's Jalen stepping up almost out of necessity sometimes. Where other guys don't other guys Grady Dick, for example, there's been moments in games, various moments throughout some of these games earlier, not in the Texas Southern game, but just through the season where Grady Dick has seemed timid at times. And if he's gonna be that way, Jalen Wilson has stepped up and is going to shoot. 
right? And he shot shot very well against Texas Southern in a, in a low pressure game, obviously, but still, <coughs> excuse me, still a very impressive uh, performance from from Jalen Wilson. But yeah, a relatively low pressure environment. I mean, for sure. When a lot you look of them at the, were open. When you look at the rest of KU's non-conference schedule, they're going to be some much more pressure-filled games. Seton Hall, Missouri, Indiana, those are some big games. Harvard's always, you know, solid, right? That, but yeah, no, those first three you said are, are definitely on another level. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't disrespect Harvard. No, yeah. Uh, that was definitely, though, as, as much as I did want to kind of mention Jalen there, it was the MJ Rice and Joe Yesifu game. Yep. Joe Yesifu gets the start after Kevin McCuller's out. MJ Rice, I'm sure, got extra minutes opportunity because Kevin McCuller was out, too. We saw him. I think that was the earliest he's come into a game, and he also uh, really kind of lit it up in the second half down the stretch there. Let's let's start with MJ Rice here because that was really good. You saw a litany of different things that he could do as a score. He hit open yeah. threes for you. I don't think he's going to be someone who's like hitting threes off movement, but he no, can he's hit not like, like catch and shoot threes, right? Yeah, I don't think he's a shooter per right. se. But he can hit open catch and shoot threes, which is important on its own right. Yeah. Um, he showed a bit of the floater game. We obviously know he's a good athlete, can dunk it and transition, all that stuff. What do you think? Because I was trying to think about this last night. Okay. If MJ Rice hits, and if MJ Rice can work to that ceiling of what he think we think he can be as a freshman this year, what does the role look like for him? It looks like being the sixth guy off the bench as a offensive spark plug with so a lot of energy. Do you think ceiling-wise, he can't start? Well, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm okay. Just I don't think he'll ever start because I don't think he'll ever start unless Grady just sucks for a really long time and Bill wants to send him a message. Or, I mean, I guess you could start him over McCuller, but McCuller brings so much to you defensively, obviously. So I just I just don't see it happening for him, right? But that doesn't mean I don't think he's gonna he could play 20 to 25 minutes a game easily. Because you can bring in MJ Rice off the bench for either Grady or McCuller, right? You can play him in either one of those positions. So that's kind of where I view it. And also, I think we we obviously weren't totally aware of, of what MJ Rice has dealt with off the court and with injuries and with some sicknesses and various ailments and stuff to the point where it, it sounds like he hasn't even really had the opportunity to practice that much, really, over the past couple weeks, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that's really nice to, to know because – I know that I have, and I think you have a little bit too. There's been times early in the season where we were maybe questioning a little bit what, why wasn't he able to to get into the games more, and I, if he was dealing with some of this other stuff and unable to practice, and that kind of explains that, right? And we see now what he can bring. But yeah, I just I just don't see him really being a starter. I think unless Grady, unless Grady really, I mean, he would have to really struggle, especially like defensively, and then he'd have to have a ongoing a long cold streak maybe, or something like that, where maybe MJ Rice starts in place of Grady, but I, I just think he's your, I just think he's your 20 to 25 minute guy off the bench that brings a lot of energy, that is explosive on the offensive end, and can do a lot of different things, and is a great athlete, and I think I think that's that's his role, and I think that's exactly the role that KU needs, when you consider what you've highlighted with their bench problems, what you've highlighted with their starters scoring a lot, and their bench doing basically nothing, right? If MJ Rice is their bench, is the first guy off the bench, and he's making stuff happen, that solves that problem. Yeah, I, I think you're you're spot on with what that would be, and, and I do 100% agree that KU needs all that stuff. Let me pose one fun question for you, though, for the starter thing. What's that? Thoughts on if, if MJ Rice, because I, I do want to just say this. like I Let's not overreact too much because 
we've seen him play two good games. Both of them were in blowouts against much lesser competition. Like, let's see what yeah. he can do against Seton Hall oh, yeah. and Missouri and Indiana, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But if if this is the guy that he's going to be, and KU continues to to struggle at the five position, and KJ Adams isn't wanna, giving you enough offense, you want to roll out the ultimate small. Honestly, ball? what if you rolled out Jalen at the five at some point? You know, Kevin McCuller basically would be your four defensively, I guess. Um, and then you have Grady Dick and MJ Rice at the two and three, and Dewan at the one. Like, would that be crazy? I don't think it is. As a starting lineup, I think yes. But in in a game where you're struggling or you know whatever, I don't think it's that crazy. I mean, I think I think we've seen enough from Bill that at the end of the day, he will try any lineup. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen it in the past, where if guys are not playing well, oh man, they will try into four. Yeah, he'll try. He'll, yeah, he'll try anything. So I don't. That's that. I wouldn't put that past him at all. But I don't know that you're ever going to see that as a starting lineup. I mean, unless you're playing, unless you get to the tournament and you're playing against a team that has like nobody over the size of like six five or six six. You know, like I don't know if there's some mid major team that's like all small. You know, they start like a six five guy at the at the center position and they just shoot infinite threes. Then maybe I guess you could try something like that. You know. As a matchup thing, but but speaking of overreacting, did we overreact to Joe being bad? <laughs> I think so. It's funny because we had like been we had been like, okay, well, maybe this will be the game for Joe. Maybe this will be the game for Joe. It felt like every game. <laughs> and then we finally It seemed like we were kinda out on him. We finally got out on it like yesterday. We were like, I don't know, is it Charlie Moore two point oh? That that was the exact thing that I phrased. And then he has a second straight 14-point performance. He hits three three three-pointers, also three rebounds, three assists. His 14 points each of the last two games, 57 total minutes, 27 against Tennessee, 30 against Texas Southern. Joe good now? Yeah, I guess we overreacted to him being bad. Well, and uh, listen, KU's going to – I mean, if Bobby Pettiford's going to be out for an extended period, you absolutely need it. Yeah. Right? I mean, because Kyle Cuff is still out also, so like you you have to have it from Joe. Well, what I wonder with Joe is if he can play well enough in the time that Pettiford is out, if he assumes more of those bench guard minutes. I don't think so. Probably not, which still makes it uh, – this is also interesting to me. If we're still talking about you know a possible eight-man rotation, and if Yesifu's not taking Bobby's minutes, then you're still talking about the starters, you're still talking about Bobby Pettiford, you're still talking about a bench big. That means the eighth spot in the rotation is still either MJ Rice or Joe Yesifu. <laughs> and every time MJ Rice plays well, Joe Yesifu plays well. <laughs> so we just like, what if it's just not one of the bigs? It's going to be, though. That's, yeah, that's, that's it would be. facetious to think that way because mm-hmm. of who bells They would only play KJ Adams and yes. Jalen Wilson at the five. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a good sign because both these guys classify under the distinction of guys that can provide offense for you, guys that yes. can create their own shot. Which is exactly what you need. Exactly. Kansas, off the bench. That's what they've been missing. Which is almost unfortunate that you could have the two of them competing for one spot. So, like, I almost do wonder. Basically, that's that's what it kind of comes down to for me. I mean, I guess you could play it like, you know, if one of them, if, if one of them, like, hypothetically, if, like, it's Joe – but then Joe has a bad game, then it's MJ's game. Then it's Joe, then it's MJ. You know what I mean? Like, whichever mm-hmm. one's playing better that night. Yeah. I mean, ideally, that's what you do. But I feel like Self likes to get to a rotation he trusts. No, he does. You know? He does. But we have seen Self in the past use certain guys. Like, I think of, like, Brandon Green, right? Where <laughs> I, This is a very odd uh, – that's kind of an odd player choice that I chose. But here's the reason why. Um We've seen self-use at times certain guys who pretty much 
their role is to make shots. And that's basically their whole yeah, role. Yeah, but I don't think Where, either Joe or MJ are like spot no, 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 up no, 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 no. Here's what I mean by that. Where their role is to make shots, and so if they come in and they go 0 for 2, they ain't playing again that night. Back, back to the bench. Where if he goes one for two, you hit one of your first shots or hit two for two, that might be the game where you do play 10, 15 minutes. So, like, from that standpoint, where, hey, if Yesifu comes in and he's providing you instant offense or MJ Rice comes in and provides you instant offense, like, maybe that's the long-term game. Otherwise, maybe that's the game where he only plays three or four minutes and they're not part of the rotation. Yeah, could be. But, I mean, overall, that was that was nice to see from both those guys. Free throw shooting was still yeah. bad. Still bad. They are... Uh, 60% from the from the free throw line. 61% in the well, game. Well, I guess, you know, 60.9. But what's crazy is that's not like that much below what they're I know, what their average season. is. Yeah, I know. Which it's is bad. bad. It is bad. Because um, what loses you games in the NCAA tournament? Free throws. Yeah. Like, okay, right now Kansas is 328th in I mean, the country Kansas in free throw shooting. Kansas has one of their national titles because of free throw shooting. Because this just sucked. This would be by far Bill Self's worst free throw shooting team at Kansas. Like, I mean, you have to far. you have to assume they'll get a little better, but so I'm tr- I'm trying to pull up the the worst. Okay, so let's see. This year they're shooting 62. percent Last year they were at like 72. Let's see. 2020 they were bad at it. They were 67. percent That's because Udoka took a bunch. That team was still five percentage points better than this year. 2017 they were 68. percent It's a small sample size. Well, um, sort of. let's see. 2012 they were 69. 2011 68. Um, 2007, they were 66. That would be their second worst. 2006, 67. Every year, other years, like 69 and a half or higher. Most of the years are in the 70s. So, yeah, this would be like by about five percentage points, the worst no. free throw shooting team in, in Bill Self's time at Kansas. They'll get better, I think. I would hope so. I think. None of the centers can shoot. KJ Adams is really having a tough time with line. I swear. Emphasis KJ, on the I think. KJ Adams plays basketball like a football player. In that he is like, you don't want to play against him because he's going to guard the heck out of you. He's going to be super physical. He's going to make hustle plays. But he throws that thing up hard. <laughs> Those are line drives up there. I love KJ. But, yeah, the, the free throw shooting needs to needs to improve there. Okay, we're going to take a timeout. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. When we come back, we'll uh, do a quick recap of Rock Chalk Pickahawk. And then we'll be joined by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. <laughs> Matt Tate is going to join the show coming up here in about 10 minutes. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We have High School Sports Weekly coming at you tonight. So we're going to have Hawk Talk after the show at 6 o'clock. And in the meantime, High School Sports Weekly will be airing live with the DeSoto girls and boys basketball teams over at Burgers by Biggs on the corner of Wakarusa and Bob Billings. Then you can hear the show at 7 o'clock on KLWN if you're not there live. Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk from yesterday. Okay, I have a motion. Okay. I motion to disqualify this Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk on the grounds that we did not know that Kevin McCuller was out, and therefore this Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk should be not count. Hmm. Motion denied. What do you mean? Because obviously I'm going to lose. I auto-replaced Joe Yesifu for you. What if I didn't want Joe Yesifu? Too bad you got him. He was untaken. He had 24 points. 24 points. He would have been my leading points. score. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, yes. 
Let's see. Hypothetically, if we knew McCuller didn't go, who would who do you think would have been your first pick? I'm guessing Grady Dick. Mm, yeah, probably Grady. So it would have definitely changed everything. It would have yeah. changed the whole draft. Okay, no, let's play this out. Let's play. No, this it would have changed the whole draft. Let's play this out. It would have changed the whole That's draft. What I'm saying, let's play this okay, out. Okay, well, we can't draft now because yes, we, we already can. know. In hindsight, I think <laughs> no, we can. No. I bet you we can. We already know what Jalen would have got me forty. Grady Dick would have got you twenty nine. So I'd be up eleven. Then you would have picked. Looks like KJ Adams. So you would have had nineteen plus. So then you would be up <laughs> eight. I would have still taken Dewan Harris. That would put me up twenty five. Then I would have taken. Um, Zuby Edgefer, so that would have put me up 41. How can you be sure? Because that's how the order of it went. But you, but with, but if if he was out, you might have taken somebody else. You might have taken Joe. So I would have beat you by more. You're saying? I'm just no. I'm just saying hypothetically, you can't. We can't. You can't go back in time and try to redo the draft I after beat the you game was over. I and 15 to 69, and that's even when I gave you Joe Yesifu's 24 points. If you didn't have Joe Yesifu, you would but have But no, that's what I'm saying. I would have had 70 points. I would have had Grady Dick is what I'm saying. And what I'm saying is even if you had Grady Dick, I would have beat you. I could take Grady Dick off what my team. What if I would have taken DeWan instead? But I could have taken DeWan second. Because okay. you took Jalen first. So you, you realize you had the third pick in the draft, right? What? You took KJ Adams. No, I'm saying so. Basically, what that tells me, if Kevin McCullough was out, you were taking KJ Adams second. Wait. Yes. No. Yes. That's not what that means. That Why wouldn't the, I have taken what? Grady? I don't know. You had the decision <laughs> yesterday, and you didn't take him. You took. I did took, we snake draft yesterday? Yes, I did. Jalen Wilson. You went Kevin McCullough, and then KJ Adams. Why did I do that? I, I don't know. I really don't know. But basically what I'm saying is that means you would have then taken K.J. Adams second, then Grady Dick third. Well, so, not if I knew that Kevin McCuller was out. <laughs> I might have gone a different direction. That could have changed my whole strategy. That's what I'm saying. That's why I motioned to, right. to not count. We'll, we'll, we'll delete it. That's fine. <laughs> but I get the first pick the next draft, though, for the Seton Hall game. That's fine. This one didn't no, I don't count. care about that. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. That's fine. By the way, how about Zuby Edgefer? 16 pick-a-hawk points, even though it didn't count. Yeah. Zach Clements got negative three. <laughs> Love that. Dude, I love this. MJ Rice scored 19 points. He had 20 pick-a-hawk Yeah, how does that even like happen? nothing else. How does that even happen? He didn't do anything else? No. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. By the way, I'm I'm fully Team Zuby. Best center okay. on the team. Most consistent, for sure. Best rebounder, and that's what I care about most because none of them can score inside. Just give me the rebounds. <laughs> so, He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KSports.com. Joins us next. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. And we would like to welcome back Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. A father of a, another child, a uh, newborn. I guess, Matt, how, how's everything been going for you over the last couple weeks since uh, you had the new child? Yeah, man, it's been amazing. Thanks for asking. Uh, little girl on November 18th and... Uh, She's been a she's been a rock star so far. She's uh, slept a little bit more than <laughs> more than I hear they could, so that's good. And uh, yeah, she's just uh, she's just a delight, man. She doesn't do much right now, as anybody with newborns or infants or whatever they they know. But um, somehow, her not doing much is still cooler than a lot of people doing a lot of things. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm on cloud nine, and and uh, 
I'm also back to uh, doing what I do from a coverage standpoint. So that's kept me busy as well. But it was great to be home for a, a solid week and just hang with her. And, and uh, we'll, see if, uh, we'll see if she can start criticizing some of my writing here soon and, and maybe get her a Twitter account to do so. That'd be good for her. Well, there's, there's a uh, uh, story idea for you. You can compare and contrast cool things that KU basketball, like MJ Rice's dunk last night, to uh, your newborn baby burping up her dinner or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Pieces yeah. of there. Could yeah. happen. I think, you only get, I think it's got a, a short shelf life. I think that's a one-shot <laughs> thing. Right? You, can't, you can't make a habit of doing that. Uh, I think, number one, people would be like, okay, enough. We get it. Number two. As I mentioned, I, I just don't think she does enough things yet. So you probably run out of uh, run out of material pretty quickly. But um, maybe we'll maybe we'll do that for the Christmas card this year, and and uh, you know everybody in the family will get a little uh, sports article rundown, like those people that send out the the big long. This is how our year went. Uh, you know the possibilities are endless right now. So it's uh, it's good though. It's great, man. Thanks for asking. Well, uh, what's what's been tougher to to, to deal with so far changing diapers or watching the KU center I'm, I'm just kidding um before before we do get into some basketball I, I do want to ask about the the Lance Leipold contract extension is there anything in the I mean obviously there's a lot to go through there but I guess what sticks out to you the most as, as part of the new contract yeah I think it's I mean look I think it's great right I I know that a lot of people have said that that you know KU gave quite a bit in the deal and I don't know, man. I mean, I think if you're if you're Lance Leipold and, and you're being honest, you're 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 thinking, yeah, I got quite a bit, but uh, I deserve it. And KU would probably say the same thing. So here we go. You know, I don't I don't think it was a um, one versus one deal. I think it's a win win. I think both sides should be really happy with with how it played out and and the fact that they got it done. Number one. So um, you know, I, I think obviously the money's big, but. Nobody should have been surprised by that. You, you had to figure it was going to be in the five to six million dollar range. Um, number one, because he has earned it. Um, what he's done so far is remarkable, and and uh, you want to show a commitment to him, and also a commitment to football as a whole. And so you, you have to you have to be ready to make that move. Um, the other thing that really stood out to me, I think, was was the idea that there is language in there talking about the stadium renovations and there's language in there talking about the NIL stuff. And those are two really, really important issues for Lance. And they have been so since he's arrived. Um, he has been in, in my estimation, he has been more um, involved and informed and active in terms of, viewing the entire landscape of what NIL is about and what stadium projects are out there. And, and I think that, you know, that shows his, his commitment to KU, but it also shows his understanding of, you know, Hey, I'm here and I'm in, but you've got to be in too. You've got to make sure that these are priorities too and, and convince me that they're big priorities. And so obviously they've done that not only in conversation and, and in action, but also in, in this contract, the language is in there um, that, that addresses both of those things so much so that, that, you know, he could opt out of the contract if he doesn't see progress on the stadium or, or the, the Anderson facility by certain dates. I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff. So that, that's a big one too. And, and then, you know, I, I think just the other thing is, is the fact that 
and I heard you guys talking about this a little bit ago, but you know, the fact that they're, they're guaranteeing that he'll be in the top half of the big 12. Um, that's big time stuff. Uh, I can remember not too long ago when Lou Perkins gave Turner Gill two million a year because he wanted this to be a two million dollar job, and and you know that's been a long time ago now, and and obviously he wasn't worth that and didn't deserve that, and uh, and and KU wasn't at that point then, but they are now and they need to be now, and so to put that in writing, to put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, and to really make. Matt, we got you there. Dude, so oh. um, that, it's one thing to have that stuff. Um, sorry, still there? Yep, you yeah. there? Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I, I just dropped out for a second. But it's one thing to have all that stuff in place and to have it be a part of conversations and and goals and and your your long range picture and, and your hopes and your visions and all that stuff, but it's another to put it in writing, put it into a contract. And so I think that that to me, the strong language of the contract is really the biggest thing that stood out. I mean, that's, this is, this is not just, well, we're hoping to make the guy happy. This is, we're going to make the guy happy and we're going to make this a real freaking football school. And you know, they got to do it still. And he's got to do it now. The, 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 the pressure shifts to him. He's got to continue to deliver and win six, seven, eight, nine, ten games and, and, and be the coach that's worthy of all this money. But you know, I'm sure he's confident he'll be able to do that. And, uh, and obviously KU's confident as well. So it's uh yeah, it should be a, it should be a really exciting day for Kansas fans because this is a big time contract and, and uh, there's a lot in it that makes you think this is, this is going to stick. He's going to be here for a long time. We're talking with Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Switching over to KU basketball, Kansas takes down Texas Southern last night to bounce back from the Tennessee loss at the Battle for Atlantis. We saw Joe Yesifu and MJ Rice take advantage of their extra opportunity that was provided to them with Kevin McCuller out for the game. Is there one of those two players that you think Kansas most needs to step up to, to kind of hit whatever their ceiling is going to be this season? Oh man, that's a good question for sure. Um, I, I don't know. You know, like I kind of think the answer is no. I think the answer is both of them. And I know that's kind of a cop out, but but I think if I had to pick, I would pick MJ. I mean, I think his ceiling is massive. I think the guy could could be a uh, a big time scorer and a guy that can you know from a confidence standpoint and a and a ability standpoint just take over games. And, and and be that kind of guy this year, you know, sometime after the first of the year when he's more comfortable and more in rhythm and things like that. So, you know, the, my, my gut tells me that's the answer. But given what we've seen from Bobby Pettiford with his injury history and given what we've seen when Kansas doesn't have the Juan Harris on the floor, I think that you can make a case that, that Joe is just as important, if not more important, because – you're not going to be able to get by with with uh, with just one point guard. You got to have a, another guy who can initiate offense. You got to have another guy who can who can handle the ball. And and you know they've talked over and over and over about how that's not who Joe is. He's a scorer, but he can do those things. And and so um, I think his importance ha- has been magnified in the last couple of games, couple of weeks. And uh, he looked really good last night. Obviously, they both did, but um, it was it was 
jarring to me to see the difference between Joe Yusefu quietly coming in off the bench with no rhythm, no confidence, and no clue of really what to do, and the Joe Yusefu that we saw last night as a starter who attacked from minute one and, and looked really good doing it. So, um, I, you know, if, if there's a if there's a weird silver lining to any of that stuff, it's, it's that injuries to Kevin and Bobby gave him a chance to, to plug those guys in last night because this team is really talented. They've got a chance to be really good, but they've got to have depth. They've got to have a bench. And we saw what happened when they don't, don't have that. It was an absolute grind uh, down in the Bahamas for them to try to survive down there. And so if they're developing some depth along the way because a couple of guys are nicked up, then that's not the worst thing that could happen. And, and uh, you know, I, I think both of those guys could be rotation guys, regulars. Um, and I, and I, there's no way I would have said that about Yusefu uh, even five or six days ago. I mean, he, he just did not look like he was here. And, uh, and then you give him the opportunity and you give him a little confidence and, and, and the, the whole thing switches and, and he looks like a totally different player. So now he's got to, he's got to show that again. He's got to show it again after that and again after that and be consistent with it. And if he can, you know, he'll be a huge part of this team. Well, something that you mentioned there with both those guys being important, and I agree because they can both add a lot to this team. Like, do you think it's possible for both of them to be a part of the rotation when it's all said and done? Because if we look at, you know, Bill Self come March, might only be seven guys, maybe eight guys as part of the rotation. And if we look at the starting five, we look at a bench big man, we look at Bobby Pettiford, it only leaves one other spot if you're going up to eight, and it would only between the two of them. So I guess what do you think is more likely, that, that Bill Self would play like a nine-man rotation at that point or that one of them kind of ekes out the other or that maybe somebody from that top seven that I mentioned falls out? Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't think anybody should sit here thinking that Self's all of a sudden going to go to nine or ten guys. Um, he can. He's had the ability to do so in the past, and even then, he hasn't. So, I think if you're talking about March, especially, it's going to be what it's going to be. And so, yeah, there might not be room for both of these guys. Where it becomes important is obviously what we're talking about right now, which is the injury part of this thing. So. Um, it's important for them to be ready. It's important for them to be factors. It's important for them to feel like they're a part of this so that if their number's called or they're needed for a game or a week or a month or whatever it is because of injury or something, you know, then, then they're ready. And, and then there's the luxury of being, a, a, you know, a program like Kansas. You don't have to have a dramatic drop-off from, from what you've got going um, in your regular rotation to the next man up. It's, it's another five-star guy or something like that. Right. So um, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'd probably, I'd probably say there isn't room for both if everybody stays healthy. Um, but so much of that's going to depend on what happens with the big men too. I mean, if, if this continues to be a, a challenge with, with, Uday and Clements and, and Zuby, you know, struggling to stay on the floor and, uh, you know, get, get acclimated and all that stuff, then that's only going to go so long. I mean, I know that self really wants one of those guys to emerge and, and he thinks this team ceiling is, is highest if one of them does, but you know, if they go into January and that hasn't happened yet, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that they give up on it because if you do that, you probably don't have David McCormick doing what he did last year. There would have been plenty of opportunities to give up on David McCormick in each of the last two seasons that he was here. Um, 
So, so I don't know that they would give up entirely, but they may have to start looking at, okay, well, we're going to be small, and we're, that's just who we are. How does that work? How does that look? Does it mean we rotate more? Does it mean we sub more? Does it mean there is more of an opportunity for both of those guys to be in the mix and, and a big part of it? You know, the answer to that could certainly be yes, but um, that, again, that depends on how those big guys progress and if they if they develop. If they don't, I, I think there's definitely a chance that both of those guys could could play big minutes and and big roles. But obviously, for Kansas, for the fans, for self, for the program, for the ceiling, all that stuff, the best thing would be for one of those big guys to emerge as a real threat, a real option, and and then kind of you know fall in line where that fits and and everybody else fits around it. Yeah, when you talk about the big situation, what, what about Cam Martin? Obviously, he's been out. I mean, if he comes back, does he have a realistic chance to to be that guy? Or, or I guess I don't know. I mean, we haven't we haven't we haven't even seen him really. I mean, what do you what do you think about uh, the possibility of Cam Martin being that guy? Yeah, it's a great question. I you know you, you do forget about him uh, because he's probably going to be out about another month. And and as you said, we haven't seen him. I mean, we don't we don't even know what he looks like from last year because he didn't play then either. So, um, you know, my gut would tell me probably not. I, I, I just don't know that he's the answer um, to to anything that, that is kind of a part of the struggles at the five position right now because what he does best is what Zach Clements does best, which is shoot the ball from the outside. Now he's stronger than Zach. He's played down low a little more than Zach, things of that nature, but um, he hasn't done it at this level, and he hasn't done it at Kansas, and he hasn't done it for Bill Self and all of that. So I don't know that we have an answer to that yet. Um, I think if things continue to look like they look today, he would definitely get a crack, um, which was not guaranteed when the season started or when you're looking at you know August and September. Um, it, it looked like there might not be room for him. And uh, I think if none of these guys improve in the way they need to to, to be more of a, a regular part of this thing, then then sure they'll give him a look. There's no question. Um, and and what can it hurt at that point? But um, anybody that's sitting there wondering if he's the answer probably needs to, you know, kind of calm that that approach down a little bit and just kind of let, well, let's not forget about him, but let's not expect that. Oh, when he's back, everything's going to be fine. I think that's putting way too much on it, and 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 probably setting him up for something he can't deliver. He is Matt Tate. You can check him out in the Lawrence Journal world and at KUSports.com. Matt, appreciate the time and uh, keep up with uh, the good work as a, a new father. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It was great to chat with you again on a, on a busy day, busy week. Uh, there's a lot going on with KU right now. And, and uh, I know I've told you this before. I've whined about this before where some of these contract things or big news things, right, they'll happen on Wednesday and I'll get squeezed out. By the time next Tuesday rolls around, we don't ever get a chance to talk about it. So I was thrilled it got released today and, you know, was really looking forward to talking with you about it the minute I heard it. I, even before I started reading the wow. contract and going to post it, I was like, I can't wait for Derek to ask me a couple <laughs> of questions about this. So you did. My day's been made. And uh, the, the fact of the matter is, regardless of how you view the contract or what you think of it, or if you think it's too strong here or too weak there or whatever, they had to get Lance to sign it. That's the bottom line. They had to get him to sign it. Um, and they did. So win for both sides and, and uh, KU football fans should be really, really stoked about it. Well, once again, you can check him out in the LJ world, KU sports.com with Matt Tate. Matt, appreciate it. Have a good one.
right, guys. Thanks. You too. All right. One hour down, two to go. We've got my college football playoff rankings coming up next. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports will join us in the 4 o'clock hour as well. We've got some KU basketball, KU football audio to get to you. High School Sports Weekly after Hawk Talk tonight also. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Football, where chaos reigns supreme. One man, one myth, one legend will sort it all out with his college football playoff rankings. This man's name is I love sleeping in on Saturdays and I love college football games. You're listening to Derek's College Football Playoff Rankings on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You need to go back to whatever the hell you was doing before you got on the radio. Let's get to the rankings now. All right. Didn't do this last week. We've been doing them every other week sometimes because I I don't know. Normally, I do this and, and some of these teams will lose and I'll have new teams. Like every the, team the I committee is too year, good. We're too good. They just like go undefeated. So it's like I'm not going to I'm not going to do what the actual playoff committee is doing where it's like, hey, here's all this drama, this TV show, here's college football playoff ranking, <laughs> and there's no changes from last week. It's not fun. The committee values parity. I do. I do value parity. Yeah. So, we've had enough changes. Two weeks have passed. Yep. Here is the updated college football playoff rankings. First up, who is off the list? Whoever is winning the Big Ten East. Okay. Now we know. Oh, it's Michigan. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Whoever the top team in D2 is, there's been a lot of chaos going on. <laughs> if you have not been paying attention to the Division II playoffs, a lot of the undefeated teams have lost already. There's not as many teams to choose from. I don't know. Okay. Also, colleges called Bethel. A lot of them either didn't make the playoffs or lost in the playoffs. So that one kind of uh, lost its luster a little See bit. See Bethel. In at number eight, down from number seven two weeks ago, Sacramento State. Hmm. So since we've had them on, they only beat UC Davis 27-21. Not impressive. Then they had a bye week. Okay. So they sit at 11-0. Well, they're in the playoffs, though, right? For they FCS? are. They're in the FCS playoffs. They're playing Richmond this week. Okay. So they're hanging on to a spot by a thread, but just enough on the overall body work that they're in there at number eight. Number okay. seven, dropping from number four, the TCU Horned Frogs. Mm-hmm. Out of the out of the top four, everywhere I go after on the a street, win, everywhere I go on the street, people walk by and they say, "Well, Derek, how could the committee drop TCU?" As you said, after a win, after a blowout win over Iowa State, they scored sixty points on four to one, seven. a top ten defense. They did, but this is the first time we've done this list in two weeks. And you know what they did the week before? They barely beat Baylor. They struggled. They probably should not have beat Baylor. Yeah, if it wasn't for the platoon field goal kick. That was impressive to get out there, but still. Yeah. Nick, name a domestic beer. A domestic beer? Yeah. I'm not very good with beer. Uh, I don't know. Name a beer. Any beer. Any beer uh, brand. Bud Light. There we go. All right. Miller is the answer we were looking for. Oh, okay. As Sorry. in Kendry Miller, who's been their unsung hero. Max Duggan's going to be, like, invited to New York. Quentin Johnson's been great. Kendra Miller. He has over 1,000 yards, right? Over 1,200 yards, 16 rushing touchdowns. Man. Get this guy to New York. Yeah, no kidding. Number six, new team on the list. Any defense 
playing the UMass offense. <laughs> Massachusetts is bad, man. They went one and eleven this year. Who'd they beat? Uh, that's a good question. I should have looked at that. All right, I'll look it up. Um, you look you that can, up. Yeah, you do your. Spiel. In the meantime, the reason why they are so bad is because their offense. So any defense who plays them is automatically like the best defense in the country, and that doesn't get you to the number one spot. That's why they're number six because there is about balance, and you need more than just great defense. But it gets you enough to be on the list. UMass is a hundred and thirty-first out of a hundred and thirty-one teams in the country at twelve point five points per game. Okay, their only win was on September 17th versus Stony Brook. They beat Stony Brook who's 20-3. Yeah, that's an FCS team. That's an FCS school. It's not great. But now, Stony Brook is, the, if I'm not mistaken, Stony Brook is the team in basketball that had a guy that was like 5-2 as their point what? guard. I think. I'm pretty sure. Alright, well they get bonus points for that. Now I will say, what UMass doesn't do as an offense by only scoring 12 and a half points per game at the very least they less than make up for it by not taking care of the ball they have 20 turnovers and at least one in every game this season haven't had a game where they didn't turn the ball over thanks they've only scored over 24 points once this is this is my favorite stat from them this is just offensive penalties. This doesn't include defense penalties. This is just okay. offensive penalties. Okay. I'm Offensively, listening. they have been whistled for 91 penalties. Oh. And 800 penalty yards. <laughs> that what? doesn't how many that total doesn't yards sound is, real. How many total yards does their offense even have? It's a little over 3,000, so I'm glad you asked, because if you take out the penalty yards from their offense, they'd be averaging less than 200 yards per game. That's in so a sad. modern college football offense. That is tough to Like in do. 1950, you averaged 200 yards. Like, cool, yeah. you're one of the better off. Yeah. In this day and age, it's like Tennessee does that in a quarter. <laughs> this makes any defense that plays the UMass offense one of the greatest in modern college football history. So they're in at number six. I like that. Number five, dropping from number three, the Michigan Wolverines. So well, they, wait, wouldn't this technically be any whoever was the winning the yeah, Big Ten East, but now it's just translated to Michigan? Correct. So technically okay. they were unranked. Technically hey, they were I just want to make right? sure the, the committee is factual. Here. They are. They are. Uh, they beat Ohio State 45-23, so now they are the team winning the East. They're 12-0. Nick, what is your favorite type of jingle? My favorite type of jingle? Um, like, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's almost Christmas. <laughs> Jingle bells. Yes. Oh, hey! That's as the in, first one I've ever got. I think it is. As in Ronnie Bell, the team's leader. He has 687 yards, 51 catches. I think he's originally from Kansas City. Should have come to Kansas. I don't, I don't know. He gets still transfer. Yeah, maybe. Transfer I don't know. I think he's out of eligibility after this year. Oh. Uh, into the playoff. In at number four. Down from number one. That means we're gonna have a new number one. Georgia. You only beat Georgia Tech 37-14 to 14 last week. You were down early. Georgia Tech sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I remember checking the score of that game. It was it was, uh, they, it was, like it was 7-3. Seven to three. Three. Yeah. Georgia Tech was up, and like they were almost scored again, I think. And then Georgia blew them out. But. Yeah. It was still only won by 23. Three-score game. Okay, uh, yeah. Nick, what is, your, what is your favorite word for a friend? Word for a friend. Like, hey, buddy. Uh, hey, pal. Uh, <laughs> comrade. Uh, comrade is your favorite word. For no, are you no, German? I'm to, no, I'm just trying or to think. Are you of, Russian? I mean, I'm Sorry. just trying to think of something because you said buddy and pal. <laughs> you can what am I supposed to say? Okay, I'll Dude. go with buddy. Dude. Um, what are some? Uh, I don't know. Compadre. How about lad? Lad. That's the right answer. As in lad McConkey. 
That's the real name of jo- this is Georgia's <laughs> top wide receiver. Brock Bowers lead them in receiving yards. Their top receiver, Lad McConkey, <laughs> has over 700 yards from scrimmage. That is the mo- McConkey is the most last name for like a Southern football player McConkey. ever. But his first name being Lad makes me think that he's yeah. like from Ireland. Well, he should Scotland. be. He should be like a left uh, guard. Lad McConkey. He should be like a left guard. That's a left guard name. Lad McConkey. Yeah, that is. That's not a receiver it's name. Not a at receiver all. name at all. It's a. It's a. It's a left guard. All right. In at number three. This team was unranked. The opposite of Colorado. Ah. The bu- Colorado Buffaloes, not the yes. state of Colorado. Yes. Although Colorado State's bad, too, but they're 3-9. Air Force is actually good. Um, the opposite of Colorado Buffalo. So, so Colorado CU Boulder is 1-11, which means the opposite of Colorado is 11-1. True, yeah. And how about this? What's that? The opposite of Colorado, that means they have a win over TCU. Who's in at number six? Because they played each other. Yes, the season. that who did, is who right. Did, wait, who? Did, oh, Colorado. They beat. Uh, they beat Cal, right? Yes. Okay. Twenty to thirteen. Twenty to fourteen. Think, I was like one and eleven. Who they beat? Yeah. So you might be saying, "Hey, Georgia's twelve and zero. Opposite of Colorado's eleven and one. What gives? Why is Colorado? Well, one, Colorado has the win over TCU. There's not a single team in my top eight who Georgia has a win over. So that's one. The other part okay, of this yeah. is the opposite of Colorado is the hottest team in the country. That matters to me. You know, how are you playing right now at this moment in time? Here are the last four games that Colorado lost by, which makes it the opposite of Colorado <laughs> won by 63 to 21, 54 to 7, 55 to 7, and 49 to 10. And it's not just that, Nick. These would be the four wins because we're doing the opposite of Colorado yep. that you have beaten those teams by. So these are the four wins that you've blown out Utah, Washington, USC, and Oregon. The They're the hottest teams. team in the country. The top four teams in the Pac-12. Yes, they are the hottest team wow. in the country, the opposite Absolutely of Colorado. shredding. In at number three. Number two, also number two last week. Didn't drop at all. The opposite of Northwestern <laughs> in the United States. So there's a tight battle. That's going to be a hell of a matchup possibly in the semifinal between the opposite of Northwestern in the U.S. versus the opposite of Colorado. Yeah. The opposite of Northwestern in the U.S. since we last ranked them two, they lost to Purdue, they lost to Illinois, meaning the opposite of Northwestern in the United States is now 11-0 with a recent 17-9 and 41-3 win over bowl-eligible opponents. Unfortunately, no Wait, more who data only points, beat though. Northwestern 17-9? Illinois? Illinois? No, no, Purdue. Oh, Purdue. Who's playing for a uh, Big Ten championship. They are. They're going to win, I think. It'd just be funny because if they win the well, Big listen, Ten Championship, what will Purdue be even we've, ranked? We've like had this 20th? discussion before. Like Purdue every year has that one win, that blowout win That's over true. a top team, and they haven't this done it yet. Be it. They haven't done it yet. Wow. This is it. Oh my gosh! That I over a top ranked Michigan team in Derek's play, playoff mm. rankings and the actual CFP. We'll get to more CFP. of that in our college football. Uh, okay. Whip round because I do actually want to explore that a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In at number one though, new number one team. They were number six last week, North Central. Not North Carolina Central. No, North Central. Okay. They have, since we last ranked them, I guess two weeks ago, I should say. That was six. almost a disaster, by the way. What was? Oh, the North, the North Carolina, Carolina Central. Central. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> Could you imagine if the actual committee did that? Like they're, they- like, they're like, and in at number four, Ohio. <laughs> like, do you mean Ohio State? Ohio. No, it's Ohio. And Ohio's just sitting there like, okay, Yeah, number one. Well, we made it. Um, Number yeah. one, Ohio in matching against Kent State on <laughs> hey, Tuesday Ohio night. Ohio is playing for a uh, yeah, they're good, title. they're really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're nine and three, I think. So I guess maybe not that crazy. Uh, but North Central, <laughs> uh, since we last ranked them six, now moving to number one. Here's why: they won fifty to zero over Lake Forest. 
And then they won. Wait, not Wake Forest? No, Lake Forest with an <laughs> L. Uh, they gave them the L. Maybe they were Wake Forest and then, and then they, they lost. They to change their so name they, to Lake exactly, Forest. Yeah. That'd be hilarious. That it, would be. It's Wake, so it's a W. Yes. So they win, it's a W. They change lose, it. it's an L. Yeah. So Wake Forest, Lake Forest. And then Forest. if they tie, they're Take Forest. Um, so yeah, <laughs> uh, they also beat Carnegie Mellon 28-7 to in a playoff game. So they're 12-0 and now. Their average score among their 12 games is 55-4. to And this is my favorite stat. North Central has 60 rushing touchdowns. 6-0 rushing touchdowns. Wow. Their opponents have one. Jeez. Pure domination. Dude, most teams don't even have 60 touchdowns total. No, crazy. And okay, you might be saying, you know, why is North Central, why did they jump over Georgia like both teams are 12-0 or Michigan or something like that? North Central has two playoff wins. Michigan and Georgia, zero combined right now. So, I mean, yeah. you know, can't argue can with, change. You can't argue with the data. Things can change, but big fat zero right now. North Central in at number one. That is my college football playoff rankings. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get to our college football whip around next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Coming up in less than 20 minutes, Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. We'll talk a little KU football, KU basketball, and college hoops and college uh, football with Kevin as well. Looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered. Located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235, a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. Okay, college football whip around. Let, let's start with that playoff talk, uh, okay. which you mentioned with Michigan there. If Purdue does what Purdue does... Purdue! Because I, I think... As a as a college football community, well, that's what they say. No, but I just love the way you said it. Um, <laughs> as a college football community, it almost feels like we've just accepted Georgia and Michigan have clinched into the playoff. If Michigan gets blown out, though, is that still? Do you think the case? No, I don't think so. How can you get blown out and then be rewarded for getting blown out by going to the playoff? I think it's almost just like who are the other candidates though that could make it. Because I, th- I I would assume tonight what the playoff rankings are going to be, it's going to be like Georgia 1, Michigan 2. TCU. Uh, yeah, TCU 3, USC. USC 4, and then who's going to be 5? Ohio State probably will be yeah. 5. Yeah. And then 6 would be Bama, right, with two losses. So even if Michigan gets blown out, are you really going to put Ohio State, who just lost by 22 oh, to Michigan? Know. Right. Well, then I guess you put in Bama. With two losses? <laughs> over? Man, I, don't, I don't know, man. Yeah, why not? But then why wouldn't Bama be ahead of Ohio State this week? Maybe because they the are. Argument for, they could be. Bama's argument this week should actually be, and I'm actually, to be fair, I'm actually rooting for this, which I know everybody is going to hate me because I'm rooting for Bama to make the playoff, and I get that. I understand that. <laughs> I After Bama lost to LSU, I put a, uh, a bet on Bama to win the title at 50-1. to 1. Yeah, their odds so were I'm, shot I'm, way down. Exactly. So we're actually closer to them making it than you would think. But Bama's argument is that we lost two games, sure, but we lost both games on the last play of the game. They lost on a two-point conversion to LSU, and then they lose to uh, Tennessee on a last-second field goal. So you lose by four combined points on the last play of each game, whereas Ohio State lost by 22 in one game. So why should that be counted as as less than Alabama's? No, I 100% agree. And then Michigan will lose by 70 to Purdue, and they're out. Okay. So you're on board with Michigan losing by that much. Um, (laughs) Georgia's in no matter what, though, right? Yes. Okay. But you're and not in on the bandwagon if of Michigan. Loses I do close. think Michigan is clinched. If Michigan loses close, they're probably still in. I think you even would if think. 
I think Michigan would have to lose by 100 points to make you think— Not even 70? <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. If they lose by 70, at that point you start to question, do we really Listen, want this team in the playoff? All I'm saying is, this is this is who Purdue is. They're, they're, they're David. They're the giant killers. But see, if and they, they haven't win, done it yet this season. If they even win by, if they win by like thirty-five, I still think Michigan's in. How? Because How do you lose by thirty-five to a? They're team not going to drop sucks. them below Ohio State. A team that sucks. They can't drop them below Ohio State, and they'd still I mean, be it'd be the body work. I mean, we, we have this discussion all the time about the best worst team. Purdue is the best worst team <laughs> in the Big Ten West. That was, I think, that was the entire Big Ten West. They were all vying for that title yes. to be the best, of the worst, to be the best right? worst team. Yes, and Purdue, Purdue somehow won because Iowa had the inside track and they lost. Okay, so if you don't think Michigan has clinched, you definitely don't think TCU has clinched, right? No. Well, if TCU wins, they're in. But yes. if TCU loses. I, I think TCU, if they lose by, like I, I just said, if Michigan loses by well, 35, I, think I still think they're in. TCU, if TCU loses by 35, I don't. The issue um, with T- the issue with TCU is the committee is they have like this idea of like oh the v- the revenge game matters if you beat a team that beat you well if it's the opposite what if it's the opposite of that you lose to a team that you already beat yeah and we've never seen that before because we've we, this just is a different scenario so I guess that's and that's it's the a team discussion. that you beat because they had to bring in their third string quarterback at some point so if TCU loses by say three points let's say three points on a last second field to get field goal they're, to K State they're probably still out. Over at that Ohio point, it'd be Ohio State. You think mm-hmm. Ohio State's in over them? Yes. I mean, the discussion. If nothing would else, be, just because of name brand, which is BS. I understand, but that's just how it goes. Well, I mean, at that Dollar point, signs. if K State wins the Big Twelve title, because I think they were what fourteenth last week. Yeah. This week they'll probably be twelfth or thirteenth. If K State, I, I don't even want to hear what you're about to say. I'm just saying, like K State, if they win the Big no, Twelve title, no, they'll probably no, be viewed no. as a top ten loss, right? Oh, for okay, for TCU. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But it wouldn't be as good of a loss for as Ohio State, who lost to the number at that point. You know, number one or number two team with Michigan, right? Yes. Um, But TCUs would be close. Ohio State's would not have been close. You're right. And TCU would be 12-1. and Ohio State would be 11-1. Dollar signs signs would probably dictate Ohio State. If TCU gets jumped again for Ohio State because it happened in 2014. Dollar signs. They are going to just be so irate. To be clear... I do think that if TCU loses to Kansas State, I would personally put Ohio State in. Yeah. Because I, I mean, if Ohio State and TCU play, and you're like, picking Ohio State. Yeah. Well, like I, I do understand the the argument of, well, why should TCU be punished for an extra game that Ohio State doesn't have to play? I just I feel like Ohio State would beat K State by two touchdowns. You know what I mean? You would and I guess you can't you can't totally do the playoff based on who you think would beat who <laughs> because we as humans are just bad at predicting things. We it are. should be based on what you have accomplished. But I don't really I, – I don't know. Uh, TCU's had a lot of close wins. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, US, USC, I think – USC is with win, a win, right? 100%, yes. If they lose, they I think out. they're out with a loss. Oh, absolutely. I actually no saw that, that that argument I just mentioned about the conference championships. It was from Pete Thamel, who, who does good work, I think, with Yahoo. Well, because USC would have the revenge win. Against Utah. Yeah, correct. But he was saying that USC should be in even if they lose the Pac-12 title for that same no. argument. That no. USC doesn't have to Utah play Utah in. right now, right? Then put Utah <laughs> in. What do, you, what do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. Just put Utah in I then. think you're right. If, if you're going to go with that argument, you have to put Utah. Exactly. Wait, doesn't Utah have three losses? Uh, Maybe. Well, I don't know. And they lost to Florida. USC beat Notre Dame, lo- so that's a better non Utah lost to Florida. They lost to Oregon. And that's it. Is yeah. that it? 
Florida, Oregon. What I could have sworn they lost to someone else. Utah football. You know, like upset by like an Arizona Wait. school. They, is Utah even in the Pac-12 championship? Yeah, playing USC. I think they're nine and three. So yeah, they can't make Come it. On. Stop! Stop the bus. <laughs> See, so in my, in my eyes, yeah, okay, they're nine and three. I I have Georgia and Michigan clinched. I think they lost to Oregon. They oh they lost to UCLA by double digits before they played USC. And yeah, then they lost to Florida. That's the beginning of the year. Wow. Okay, we didn't talk about this. Is KU basketball frauds? KU basketball barely beat Southern Utah. Utah beat Southern Utah in football by 66. 73 to 7. They scored almost as many points against Southern Utah football as KU scored against Southern Utah basketball. Frauds? <laughs> yes. I think so. Wow, that's, that's tough. Would the Kansas basketball team beat them in football? I think that's what we're finding out. Beat Utah? So yeah, I, I Clearly do think, not. I, I think the only controversy will be after this week if TCU loses to K-State, obviously. <clears throat> Um, what happens with them, and then hypothetically, if TCU and USC lose, do we get to that point where Alabama's in? Yes. Easily. Like I said, I am going to be the bad guy here. I'm rooting for USC to make it because, or not USC, uh, Alabama to make it because of that. I think USC getting in would be fun. But, like, does USC have a chance against Georgia? The offense the worst, gives them a chance. They have Caleb the worst defense of all but time. But, yes, you're right. I think what'll end up, but who knows? What if it's uh, what if it's like the, gosh, was that 2017 the Rose Bowl? It was uh, Georgia Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield's year, okay, and it went to overtime. Was it just a billion points? Oklahoma couldn't stop Georgia's running game with like Sony Michelle and, and whoever. I think Georgia won like 50 something to 40 something okay, in I overtime. That, yeah, that the offense kept pace. So that that'll be the key. If USC's offense okay. can put up you know 40 points, because they'll probably give up 40 to, to Georgia. I'm just saying, like, hypothetically, if Michigan I actually, and Georgia are one and two, and then USC is there, and USC is going to have to play either Michigan or Georgia, those are both really horrible matchups for, for USC. Maybe, or because neither team, yeah. I, I'll i be honest, though, I'm setting myself up for for disappointment because every with, year with what we get horrible, semi, at least one of the matchups, and sometimes both, are blowouts, yep. right? Yep. I have set myself up in my mind this year that I have said, I don't think there's that one team that is just like like Georgia last Kinda year or Alabama two years ago oh. or Clemson, like whatever that was three or four years ago, where they're just going to beat every team by 30 or 40 points. I do think that all these matchups we're going to get are going to actually be between two scores or less. And I feel like I'm setting myself up for disappointment because that won't probably happen. No, it won't. Georgia's, Georgia will beat whoever they're playing by a lot. But, like, in my head, I'm like, oh, Caleb Williams, USC offense, they can make it a close game. Or with, like, TCU, I'm like, oh, Max Duggan, like, they can make it interesting versus Michigan. And then both games will end up 45-10. to 10. Correct. <laughs> but I'm getting yes. my hope up there. Uh, by the way, some some coaching news. Obviously, Matt Rule oh, yeah. to, to Nebraska, lots of money there. Luke Fickle to Wisconsin. Yep. Hugh Freeze to Auburn. Anything stick out to you among those? Uh, the Luke Fickle situation, we talked about it off air a little bit. Cincinnati's going to the Big 12. You're you're a god there, basically. Like, is that really that much of a? I mean, it's Wisconsin. I understand, but I mean, it, I mean, it, Wisconsin is is firmly entrenched in like the second tier of like top programs, right? They're not even close to being in the top tier. So I mean, Cincinnati, if he stays there, and they become a top three team in the Big Twelve, they'd probably be in the same category, would they not? 
in the Big 12? Yeah. So it could, very well could be, yeah. I now, if, if Wisconsin then, gets to I – don't, I don't know what the Big Ten is going to do moving forward with their divisions. If Wisconsin does get to stay in the West, maybe you have a different <laughs> light. That's a, but I don't know what they're going to do with the division. They might get rid of them like the Pac-12 did, and then that makes it even harder to win at like the highest uh, – like that makes it harder the, – the path to winning the Big Ten would be more difficult for Wisconsin than the path to winning the Big 12 would be for Cincinnati – also, if we go to a 12-team playoff, that might not matter. If you finish yeah. third or fourth in the Big Ten, you might make it, whereas in yeah. the Big 12, you might have to win it. The other big coaching news was the Willie Fritz situation, which has spiraled literally mm-hmm. in the last couple hours to where I, he reportedly had accepted Georgia Tech and was going to be the next Georgia Tech coach. Well, that is now flipped. He's going to stay at Tulane instead. And, I mean, talk about bad stuff for Georgia Tech. This literally, I just saw this from Pete Camel. <laughs> They're now targeting interim head coach yeah, Brent gonna, Key to be their next head coach. Yeah, they're going to promote from within. So they've basically fallen to, oh, crap, nobody wants us. We have to just stick get, with the guy. Don't get Jeff Munkin <laughs> from Army. That's what I Just do that. Go back. Maybe they're so, like, anti-triple triple option. option now. But, like, they made, I think, two Orange Bowls with Paul Johnson. Dude, I would love to be a fan of a triple option team. Like, it would just be so much fun. I feel like you don't have to worry about recruiting. Like exactly, you'd be like, "Oh, here's our new running back." Like, here's the running back recruit. Like, that would be the guy you'd look at every year. But outside of that, you'd just be like, "Yeah, no, yeah, exactly." Because every because uh, you know, recruits know what they're getting into if they're coming to play for the triple option. So you don't even have to go out and really recruit or anything. You Mm -hmm. just say, "Hey, you want to go pancake some guys? (laughs) Come play for us." Oh, you want to run for fifty times the game, dude? Sign right here, man. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Kevin Flaherty, twenty four seven Sports, joins us next. This is RCST. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports. Kansas falls to Kansas State on Saturday, and it was certainly an odd feeling of a game because in a lot of ways, Kansas looked neck and neck with the Wildcats, which obviously on its own is a huge positive and shows signs of improvement. But they also, in a lot of ways, gave the game away with just self-inflicted mistakes, which has been a Kansas way of the past. So, Kevin, how do you kind of sort out how Kansas fans should feel about what we saw on Saturday against the Wildcats? I think first you're disappointed, right, because you feel like it was a missed opportunity. And that's not to say that Kansas is a better football team this year than Kansas State, but that's not how games go, right? It's on a specific night and a specific opportunity, and I think that – when you look back at last Saturday, you view it as a missed opportunity given that on that night, Kansas kind of played with Kansas State. And you look at the mistakes, the points that Kansas gave away, obviously, you know, muffed punt, special teams mistakes. Even when you come back sort of late in the fourth quarter and you have a chance to, to maybe apply some pressure there, you know, you have the drop two-point conversion. And then, of course, you know, you have – the sort of interesting decision to go ahead and punt the ball with with not a ton, lot of time left. And, and that's not to put any of the blame on any one player. I think that you could look across tape and, and see a lot of mistakes in a lot of different places. I do think that when you separate from it a little bit, you look at it, maybe it is the sort of thing that gives you a little bit of confidence to say, hey, we didn't lose this game because they were outright better than us. You lost this game because you didn't execute the way that you need to execute. And I think 
One of the things I really like about Lance Leipold as Kansas coach, and I know we've talked about it on this show before, is his whole, you know, eschewing moral victories thing. It would be very easy to say, hey, you guys played with great effort, et cetera. You should be proud. I think instead of that, what Leipold does is he sits there and says to him, hey, guys, like this, this was a chance, and the margins are thin. And I have an article coming out, I think, tomorrow looking at every team in the Big 12 and how they did in one score games. And it would not surprise you to hear that TCU obviously did very well in one score games, and that's a big part of the reason TCU is undefeated going to the Big 12 title game and has a shot at the college football playoff. Iowa State was 1-6 this year in one score games. The one win coming against Iowa, the six losses all coming in Big 12 play. And obviously I'm not saying that you're going to win every one-score game every year, but if you flip Iowa State's success rate in those one-score games, Iowa State's in the Big 12 title game. That's the margin that we're talking about within this conference. And so I think that when you look at a specific game like the Kansas State game, like maybe some of the games that Kansas had where things got away just a little bit in the fourth quarter, I think it's really easy to to kind of give that point off and say, "Hey, the difference between six and six and eight and four and nine and three in this league, or in Iowa State's case, you know, the difference between ten and two and four and eight, it can be measured in inches." And I really think that that's going to be kind of the takeaway: is yes, Kansas played with Kansas State. Yes, they didn't get just run off the field like we've seen in some previous games. The flip side is is that Kansas needs to execute in those situations. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's it's just that it's, it's happened a few times now too, right? Like it wasn't just sure. a K-State game. You look, for me, the Texas Tech game really comes to mind where you just made too many mistakes, but whether it's athletically or in the trenches or just overall game style. Even, even the TCU game, which yeah. I think we could say was a pretty well-played game by Kansas, Lance Leifold said in that post-game press conference, you know, we just didn't quite make enough plays. And you look at, you know, there was a chance to to have, you know, sort of a a big gain on a pass late in that game that didn't quite go their way. Obviously, you had the Jalen Daniels fumble on the goal line earlier in the game, and that's just it. You know, Kansas could play with TCU, who was the best Big 12 team, and, you know, arguably should have won that game with a little bit cleaner game. And yet Kansas was also capable of losing to anybody in the conference if the Jayhawks didn't play like that. Well, I guess what do you what do you make of that? Because for me it's it's really hard to comprehend how this coaching staff, who I think is a really good coaching staff, and I think Lance Leipold, you know, I, I don't know, Sonny Dykes might end up winning Big Twelve Coach of the Year, National Coach of the Year because he's twelve and oh and I'm all good with that. But if it doesn't go to him, it might go to Lance Leipold. I guess Chris Kleiman has a case too, right? Nine and three in the Big Twelve title. But uh, the point is, he is known as being one of the better coaches in the conference and in the country. And I, I agree with all that sentiment. So why is this stuff happening? Why is Kansas having costly turnovers or penalties or special teams mistakes? Like, what do you kind of t- attribute that to happening to for something that normally we think of as being, hey, you are really re- a really well coached team. You don't do those things. Sure. I, I think that in a lot of cases, it's really easy to put the blame on, on a coach and say, hey, this is 
this is this guy's fault. You know, this is not a well-coached team. I, I think in a lot of Kansas's cases, that maybe wasn't the case. I do think Kansas needs to figure something out desperately on special teams. You know, I know that all of us here look at, you know, advanced metrics and things like that, and Kansas is 128th in the country in special teams, according to ESPN's SP+. And so when you look at, at that stuff, uh, I do think that maybe there are some, some teaching points. I think there are some time score things that Kansas doesn't always get right in terms of, hey, you know, for instance, if we're I, – I hate to keep harping on this, but the punt late against Kansas State, even if Kansas State doesn't go down the field to score there, Kansas State is going to use some clock and then punt the ball back to you, and then you basically have to be perfect, right, at that point in order to come back. Whereas if you can get the first down there, you've got a chance to go down and score, make things a one-score game, and the margin is a little bit more. And so I don't know that Kansas always gets those things right. But at the same time, I think that it's probably looking at it a little too much and a little too deeply for us to sit here and say, oh, these are – these are coaching problems, right? Because last year, Kansas was barely penalized at all. I mean, they were among the league's best at that, and I don't think that Kansas's coaches all of a sudden, you know, got worse at that. I don't think that, that that's necessarily something that's there. I do, I do see what you're saying. I do think it's interesting. Kansas has kind of an asterisk in the one-score game thing in that West Virginia was technically settled by two scores, but I still see that as a one-score yeah. game, right? Because West Virginia, you know, gives up the the pick six on the on the final play. If you count that, I think Kansas was I think three and two in one-score games, and this is just off the top of my head. And so, obviously, you know, when you're in close games, you're going to find a way to lose some of them typically because of just the way the ball bounces. And so, the fact that that Kansas wasn't bad in one scoring games, I, I think, is something that reflects well on them. And it's probably just something that seeing Kansas every single week the way that we do, I, I think that it's easier to kind of nitpick and say, hey, this is a this is a major issue here. Yeah, and to be clear, like I'm not putting the blame of it on the coaches. I just I, that's what <laughs> I don't understand because I think this is a really good coaching staff. So why is that stuff happening? It just it it doesn't comprehend to me. Um Kansas is obviously going to be in a bowl game. We're, we're still waiting and seeing what they're going to be playing in. Is is this opportunity to play in a bowl game, like, does it mean a lot more? Obviously, it does to the fan base and stuff because they haven't been in one in a while. But in what ways does this give Kansas a much bigger opportunity than, than maybe some other schools? Like, is it just about getting guys healthy or seeing Jalen Daniels healthy? Is it the extra practices? Like, in what ways can this really help Kansas? Yeah, the extra practices is the is the most obvious thing. I mean, any any time you get fifteen extra practices, and for people who aren't familiar, you usually use about half of those practices where you're running young players with with your first unit and really getting those guys a lot of reps. And so, a guy like Ethan Vasco, who maybe isn't going to factor in in Kansas bowl game, might not factor in next year. You know, with Jalen Daniels expected to return. But down the road, you, you expect bigger things from him. It's good for him to get those repetitions, for him to get the intensity of working you know, with the first team and all of the things that go along with that. And so 
that part and the development part is big. The fact that you can keep working out and lifting weights as a team and all of the different things that that, that comes with. But I think the other part, Derek, that maybe not a lot of people talk about is the showcase that a bowl allows for your team. And what I mean by that is on any given college football Saturday, you know, how many different games are in your time slot? And so Kansas, you know, is probably mostly watched by Kansas fans and, and the opposing fans for that specific game. And yet if you throw Kansas into, say, a December 22nd bowl game, 23rd bowl game, 27th bowl game, you're only competing with one other game, if any at all. And, and so you really have a chance to put your program on display for people who aren't Kansas fans, aren't fans of the opponents. They're just tuning in because, hey, it's, it's bowl season and bowls are on. You know, Andy Kotelnicki dials up some stuff like he did against Houston with some of the fun option looks and, and trick plays and things that they're doing. It's a chance to really showcase what you do and be kind of a commercial for your program. And I think with how beaten down the Kansas program has been over the last decade plus, the ability to not just go out and display your program like that, but also have announcers talk about, man, this is special, man, look at what a year Kansas had, et cetera. It's basically a big commercial for your program that you can go out and tap into as well. Bigger picture zooming out on, on the college football landscape. How many teams do you think are still alive for the college football playoff right now? Obviously the top four that we would presume tonight with Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and, and USC. How far down the list would you go that – uh, of teams that are going to be, you know, rooting around on Saturday for for X result to happen. You know, I've heard as many as seven. You know, I've just from various people talking about it, and and typically that's Ohio State sitting on the outside, that's Alabama and Tennessee sitting on the outside. In, in Alabama's case, I'll, I'll be the first to admit I I don't really get it. <laughs> I, I really don't. I get that it's Alabama. I guess that they've got talent and, and all of those different things. But, you know, Alabama at this year never really struck me as, you know, hey, this this team is an elite of the elite teams. You know, I, I get that the loss to Tennessee wasn't super definitive. You lose on the last possession like that. You lose to LSU, you know, in the style that they do. But LSU isn't a playoff team. You know, Tennessee went up against Georgia got squashed, got squashed by South Carolina. So I don't really see, you know, the, the case for some of those two lost teams. Ohio State was was still in that game, what, in the third and fourth quarters with Michigan. So I kind of like a one-loss Ohio State team as sort of the fifth team in case, you know, somebody winds up tripping up in that top four, specifically maybe USC against Utah. But at the same time, I, I do think that it's going to get awfully tempting for certain people to, to look back at Tennessee, even without Hendon Hooker, and look back at Alabama and say, well, gosh, like we've got a one-loss Ohio State team here. We've got some of these, uh, some of these other teams that maybe people don't have a lot of respect for TCU's schedule. If TCU loses and is a one-loss team, in that respect, I do think that you're going to start hearing some rumbling for, hey, there should be a second SEC team in there, even though there doesn't seem to be a, a real great second SEC candidate, I don't think, at this point. Okay, so what do you think happens? TCU loses by, say, seven points to Kansas State. Who do you think gets in 
TCU or Ohio State? I think that in that case, it's it's tough because, and I know you want me to make a make a pick, <laughs> and I I think that I would probably go with Ohio State in that situation, but at the same time, it's just it's so difficult to tell. Obviously, neither team would have a conference title at that point, so you can take that part out. If you look at you know who sort of the best win is. I would guess you would say, hey, it's probably TCU over Kansas State at that point. Maybe Ohio State over Penn State, maybe, I guess, would would potentially be the answer to that question. Then Ohio State has that win over Notre Dame as well. But, I mean, we've seen – I feel like we've seen the committee kind of say that, as weird as it sounds, that they don't really like TCU this year. You know, they found different ways to say that, right? Like early on it was, hey – this isn't a balanced team and things like that. And so I do think that you get to that situation is you're going to have some people say, well, yeah, Michigan, you know, got Ohio state, but I saw a, I saw a, an odds maker say that if Michigan and Ohio state meet this Saturday, Ohio state would probably be favored by two points, which it is amazing to me, but at the same time, like I said, you know, Michigan kind of pulled away late in that one. And so while the scoreline looks like a big scoreline, I think if you actually looked at it, maybe the two teams weren't as separated as, as a lot of people might have thought. So I think they would probably go with Ohio State, but man, that would be a, a rough scenario for for TCU at the same time, like I said, that TCU team has been living on the edge for a while and you just get the feeling that the committee is, is waiting for, for that other shoe to drop to, to kind of make a change there if they're able to. Well, I did want to get a college basketball question in. Uh, we don't have a ton of time, but uh, I, I guess I'll just kind of give you an open floor one. Uh, last week we had some really good tournaments with Feast Week and, and everything going on. Was there a team in college basketball that, that maybe surprised you or impressed you the most last week and maybe a team that disappointed you the most? You know, I, I like Purdue a lot. I, I don't think that that surprises anybody based on on what happened there. Purdue was a team that we kind of had on the outer fringes of our top 25, but we felt like teams, say, 18 through 45 were, were pretty equal, and we could have, you know, kind of picked and chose teams to – to move up and down it and Purdue was was in a good spot there. They get, you know, the eighteen point win over Gonzaga and then, you know, beat Duke, I think, by by maybe like nineteen or twenty as well. And so that was a team that that really impressed me. As far as disappointed, that that's a tough one. I, I'm trying to think if there's anybody that jumps out there because I, I feel like the easy answer would probably be North Carolina. But at the same time, if you would have asked me, hey, will North Carolina lose Iowa State, I would have said, hey, it's it's a real possibility. And then I would have expected Alabama probably to have beaten North Carolina as well. And so North Carolina would probably be the answer, but it wasn't necessarily a shocking disappointment as much as, hey, if you're expected to be the number one team in the country, you probably should lose games on back-to-back nights to, to Iowa State and Iowa State and Alabama. I guess they played on like a Friday Sunday, but yeah, that's those. That would probably be my answer. Is just North Carolina so far, Derek. I, I think you'd probably agree they look a lot more like the Tar Heel team 
for three quarters mm-hmm. of last year as opposed to who they were in the last quarter of last year. Yep. Uh, well, uh, we'll get more into some of that stuff, but uh, certainly there was a lot of college football we had to go over today But uh, on coming weeks. Kevin, appreciate the time as always, man. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty. Check out all his work, 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports. You can give him a follow at KFlaherty on Twitter. Always does great work. Good follow online to uh, get all your sports info and uh, some really good analysis. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We got some uh, KU audio from the post game after their win over Texas Southern last night. Coming up next.